Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I talk to an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is episode two. In this episode, I'm talking with Christine Sprankle. She's considered to be the premier cosplayer in the Magic the Gathering community. You might have seen her as Elspeth, Avison, Eternal Witness, Liliana, and more. She's been featured by Wizards of the Coast, and she's been featured on Rolling Stone magazine. Christine is dedicated to her craft and love of cosplay. Her costumes are meticulously detailed, and there's a lot that she brings out from the artwork that we usually don't notice. Her close relationships with prominent magic artists such as Therese Nielsen, Steve Argyle, RK Post, Eric Deschamps and Carla Ortiz has allowed her to become a living embodiment of the artwork we see. I had a great time talking with Christine. Please enjoy this episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Hey everyone, this is Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today we're talking to magic cosplayer Christine Sprankle. Christine, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being on the show. No, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I love the photos that you have. Everything you do is incredibly detailed and, and so creative. Yeah, most people like my Twitter most of the time, not when I uh, go on my epic long rant. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try and just show what, what I'm doing. What I want to learn more from you is about Cosplay 101 and learn a little bit from you the terminology. Um, so cosplay is costume role-playing in just one snazzy little word. It's started early 60s and 70s at sci-fi conventions, especially when Star Trek first hit. Um, a lot of people dressed up as characters from Star Trek. If you ask some people, that's where cosplay started way back in the day. It got super popular in Japan into a younger generation in America. Uh-huh. Some people don't like being called a cosplayer. They like being called a costumer. Or, you know, they make, you know, costumes. They're not a cosplayer. Ah, okay. It's a little bit more of a casual, fun term. So if somebody is more professional, you know, is more into uh, making costumes at a professional level, they might want to be considered a costumer. Got it. I just like being called a cosplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm co- I usually am cosplaying at events. That's what I do. I like playing magic, but I like cosplaying even more. I think that's most of the terminology. Oh, oh, there's like a couple of different types of cosplay also. There's um, crossplay, which you pretty much gender swap a character, or you can straight gender bend a character. So um, gender bend is where if you take a male and you pretty much make a female version of that, crossplay is where you literally pretty much cross-dressing, if you will. Uh huh. You literally are a girl dressing up as a boy. As an artist, you have to take some artistic liberties to translate the costume or some stylistic elements, right? The thing about cosplay is, at least for me, I'm never 100% accurate because I put my own little twist on the costume or I focus on details that probably somebody else wouldn't. So when you see like two Lilianas together, you're going to see my version of Liliana and then you're going to see that person's version of Liliana. You're going to see where they focus on details. You know, what part, you can see what parts of the costume was their favorite to make, what parts you know, they weren't so confident in making. And I really love that aspect because then you get to just sit there and talk with that person who's like, oh yeah, I hated making the breastplate. What did you do? I love that about cosplay. Each cosplay has a little bit of the cosplayer in it. It's not just the character. That's very cool. And how did you get started with cosplay? I was absolutely obsessed with Sailor Moon as a kid. My friend uh, and I wanted to go to our first convention, and she was like, well, I hear people dress up as their favorite characters. So her and I pretty much went to the thrift store and threw together these horrendous costumes. They look 
so terrible. There was pictures that were surviving, which I actually found one. Really? So there is a picture of like my very first costume, which I don't show anybody. You have to send now it over now. It. Now you'll have to send it over. We'll have to put it You're in the show. You're not going to see it. We won't be able to see I'm it? I'm so sorry. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but one of these days, I'll post it. They look craptastic, but we have the biggest grins on our faces. It totally shows through. So I just didn't stop. <laughs> It's all about for the love of the cosplay. You guys were having a great time and you guys were being creative. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. We met a bunch of other people who were dressed up as Sailor Moon cosplayers there and just made a ton of new friends. It was just such a positive experience. If you ever have that experience, you immediately get hurt. Most Magic players can relate because it's like when they win with their deck that they built all themselves for the first time. It's like the same feeling. What was the first big event that you went to with a costume? My very first convention, it's called Sacramento Anime Convention, or Sac Anime, and it's held up in Sacramento, California, um, twice a year. There's a spring and a winter version, uh-huh. or a summer version. I pretty much go twice every year for the past 12 years now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it, and I love seeing how it's grown, because when I first went to it, it was in the mall. It was in the middle, literally in the mall. And it was horrifying to think back then because you I was literally dressed up like a nerd just with a bunch of normal people just shopping at the mall. It was a very, very small convention. There was literally like, I think a grand total of like 12 booths, if that. And, you know, it was literally like a few hundred of us just having a little anime convention. And now it's at the Sacramento Convention Center. It's Thousands and thousands of people come. They sell out of hotel spaces. It's really crazy to think that's where, like, remembering where it started from to where I see it now today. And when was that? Um, that was back in, I can't remember if it was 2004 or 2003. So it's really come a long way. It's come a very long way. Do you still go? Oh, yeah. Every year for the past, like, 12 or so years I've gone. And so everyone knows you? No, actually, uh... I keep very quiet in the cosplay community. I try not uh, like make waves or anything. <laughs> well, you are known as the premier cosplayer in the Magic the Gathering community. That's definitely got to have some clout for you in the greater cosplay community. A little bit. Like, I every once in a while, I'll, um, I'll have a few people come up to me at a convention, and they're like, are you Christine Sprinkle? Like, I'll, I don't think I'll ever get used to that, ever. But, um, uh, and it's mostly people who cosplay, or other cosplayers who play Magic. They're like, I saw you on coverage, or I saw you, you know, somewhere, and I just never see Magic cosplayers, and it just makes me so happy to see you. And that just tickles me beyond belief. So you're very encouraging of others that want to join this community. Well, when I first cosplayed Magic at World in 2011, I was literally the only person. And for the next, like, almost two years of GPs that I went to after 2011 World, I was still <laughs> the only person yeah. dressed up at GPs. And you get lonely, especially early on. Cosplay is very much heavily dominated by females. Most of the top cosplayers are females. It's just a female-heavy culture. So magic, especially in the beginning when I started there, was hardly any girls. Yeah. You know, when I went to GPs in 20... Like, when I went to World 2011, I literally remember seeing, like, less than a dozen chicks there. I just don't think the female population were into magic back then. Yeah. Or they were just too afraid to get into it back then. Honestly, the first... 
online appearance I made. Wizards wrote an article about me at 2011 World. Really amazing, really nice article, but the backlash I got online was unreal. What kind of backlash did you get? I got a lot of a lot of hate. A lot of people called me the most nastiest and disturbing things you ever heard in your life. I got called just really vile, vile things. Wow, I just don't get that. I just don't understand why. And I didn't really either, and I had never really experienced that because the years I have cosplayed before that, I got you know some snide remarks online, but nothing on that scale before. So it was just, I was, I was shocked, and I honestly wanted to quit right then and there. I just don't think that the magic community was exactly ready for it. I straight up for quite a while, I would just like see one thing online, and I would just literally burst into tears, nonstop. To just say, I still don't understand the people who said I was too fat for Elsis. I don't know where you were coming out, you know, but screw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well. Definitely screw those people because you kept with it and the magic community is a better off place because you did stay with it. So over the years, you continued to go to GPs and then GP Vegas of 2015 happened and you dress up like Avison. That is the closest thing so far we've had of like a magic convention. I can't even tell you how big the hall was because if you're standing on one end, you almost don't see the other end like wow. you're so damn far away and it's literally just a huge sea of people 10,000 people in one you know magic players in one area and it, it's staggering and you had this great photo by photographer Joey Pasco that got featured on Rolling Stone I would never imagine me in uh, Rolling Stones ever especially not for cosplay <laughs> but um that photo shoot was really interesting. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, did you, you know, that happened early in the morning? No, that actually happened because uh, that went up, I believe, Saturday of the GP. And we shot that Friday night, like right as the sun was setting. It was a sunset. It was a sunset, not a sunrise. A lot of people are like, oh, sunrise? Nope, nope. That was a, like around five or six o'clock. And it was really, really hot. People can't see it, but in the picture, I was quite literally trailing like uh i have like an undershirt that i wear for avison and i there was so much sweat that i was leaving a dripping trail of sweat behind me it was so gross so gross yeah vegas <laughs> is hot in the summer yeah and it was june or something yep. so you're literally right in the middle of summer and it was unreal and it's not like you can just walk up to the las vegas sign no. You have to wait a line. There's a line of people waiting to get their picture with the sign. So we had to wait in line for a good, like, 15, 20 minutes. And I'm in full, huge angel that's just head-to-toe black and white for some reason, mostly black. Oh, Soren. Thank you for making that full-on Thanks, black and Dad. white angel regalia. <laughs> We're standing in line, and it's got to look ridiculous because I've got this huge staff, these huge wings, and a lot of wedding parties are getting their, you know, wed like couples and stuff are getting their uh -huh, pictures. Yeah. And then here's this angel just slowly waiting in line. And finally we get to the thing and we do a couple of pictures right in front of the sign. And those didn't work. Funny enough, the picture that we took, we stepped to the side to let more people go take pictures. We had to position me to where my wings are actually covering up right behind me. You can't see it. I hope to like there would almost be like somewhere below the wings where you'd be able to see it. 
but there is a huge wedding party and it's Beetlejuice themed behind me. Oh my goodness. So the groom's in like this pin, like, you know, the striped suit. Right. With green hair. That's amazing. And then the bride's in this beautiful red dress. They're literally right behind me in the picture and nobody knows. Because they weren't there. <laughs> that is so wonderful. And I took a picture with them. They asked me if I would take a picture. So somebody out there, whoever had the Beetlejuice wedding, they have a picture with Addison as well. That's right. If you're that Beetlejuice wedding party and you're listening <laughs> yeah. to this right now, you've got the exclusive backstory on Christine's famed Addison shoot. You're in Rolling Stone. <laughs> I know, exactly. Well, yeah, you're in Rolling Stone behind the pixels that were your wings. Behind there, yeah. <laughs> and it was so funny because today, Today, um, Joey tweeted me a blooper image of you, and I, I was looking at it from my uh, smartphone, and I couldn't see it exactly, but it looked like you almost you were on a golf course. There was, like, grass, right? It was fake grass, though. It's oh, fake grass it was like grass? Oh, okay. Because it looked really perfect, like grass. And I just and that yeah. perfect grass just made me be like, you look like you're on a golf course. Yeah, it's on this weird hill, and it's straight fake turf. Like, it's the weird plastic stuff. And you had your you had your spear, your spear staff up over your head, kind of like you were like, oh, it's so hot. That was kind of like the expression. <laughs> yeah, that was, we're trying to do um, Allison Guardian Angel. Ah, okay. But yeah, I was, probably looked like I was dying because I 100% was. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will include images in the show notes so that our listeners can take a peek at these things because they're really wonderful. How were you received after GP Vegas? It was unreal. Suddenly, I became known in the community. I was known before, but now people were calling me a quote-unquote magic celebrity, which I still think is kind of hilarious. I I can't quite take that serious because some people have asked me, like, how has your life changed since that? And it's just like, I don't know. I still go to my regular job and... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows, like, you know, my day-to-day life, exactly what's going on. So it hasn't changed much, except uh, online, it was a really good response, though. And I just had a ton of people say, you know, next GP, I, I, I definitely want to try and cosplay something. And that that's all I could ask for, honestly. You are a maker. You're a designer. That's just part of the creative process. Yeah. And with magic, it's really interesting because... On some of the cards, you won't see, like, half of the costume. Right. You pretty much never see the backs of characters. Um, A lot of fantasy designs don't translate very well in real life. It's pretty much trying to figure out what that person's even wearing below half, you know, the other half of the card and make it work in real life. I think that's a very good challenge because... As an artist, you do have to take a little bit of creativity to fill in those gaps. Oh, yeah. It really keeps you on your toes. And I think that's why I stuck with magic for so long. It's always something new. Like, I, I don't ever feel like I'm I'm getting stagnant. Like, I constantly have to figure out new ways to make things to make it work for the next costume. It's never, oh, I can just use what I did last time on this last costume. It's like, nope, that's not going to work this time. I need to, like, rethink my whole process. So I think that was, it's a huge draw for me of why I keep cosplaying magic. And you talked a little bit about your process. Can you can you tell us more about how you go through that? Um, it starts with a lot of tears. <laughs> uh-huh. But seriously, it, it does. I, I usually cry at least once during a costume because I get so frustrated. It really, it helps me calm down. But um, 
usually I it starts out with staring at as many reference pictures as I can for hours on end. If I'm really stuck, I found that a lot of magic artists are very receptive to questions about the costumes. Oh, so you reach out to a lot of... I do, all the time. But they are busy, so I mean, I never expect like a very prompt response or a quick one or anything. So if anybody else is trying this, like don't get discouraged. They're really busy, just like everybody else. They'll get back to you as soon as they can. And usually it's really enthusiastic. I don't think I've ever had a negative response or interaction with a magic artist so far, especially when it comes to me asking questions about how can I, you know, how can you help me make this? Who are some of the artists that you worked with? Uh, This year, I'm really excited. I am working with Steve Argyle to create a costume for a character that isn't exactly human in magic. Uh So we made a human counterpart for this really infamous card. I can't say it yet. You'll see it at GP Columbus, but it's going to be amazing. That's fantastic. A lot of people have asked me for this. Yeah. And um, I'm also working with Marco Neller. He does some magic cards and also does a lot of art for... um, Hearthstone and Mortal Kombat and a bunch of other games. And he's helping me also bring a character that isn't exactly human to human life, pretty much. Yeah, I'm really excited for those because they're more of like original designs that me and the artists work together on. Wow. And so there's a lot of me and the artist in those. And I'm really, I can't wait to share that with the community. It's going to be like little little parts of us. But um, That's um, amazing. I've worked a lot with RK Post. He's always a huge help. Oh, I love RK Post. Um, he's hilarious. He's kind of a butthole sometimes. But <laughs> that's that's just the charm of it though. Like you can't really have that without him. And who else? I've um I've worked closely with Eric Deschamps on a few things. Uh he actually he drew the entire backside of Olivia mobilized for war just so I could make the costume. I literally couldn't believe he sat. He, I literally walked over to him. I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna make this soon. I don't understand what's kind of going on on a few parts. And is there anything I need to know?" And he was like, "Oh, here, sit down and let me sketch you up some stuff." And for him, just like a quote-unquote quick sketch, it was unreal. <laughs> that is incredible. So I'm going to keep this piece of paper <laughs> for the rest of my life of like this quote-unquote quick sketch. I honestly, I just wanted to do something more like original, like more original design so that I can honestly just kind of let go and do really what I wanted to do and not just have to be like 100% to a character specifically. So that that's why I really wanted to do them was I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. <laughs> That's wonderful. We're seeing the evolution of an artist in real time. You know, you started off with Elspeth, and then you have Avison as well. And now you're evolving again your craft to include characters that are not human. And I know the community is going to be very excited to see that. So how do you come up with the inspiration for a new character? It's always a little different. Like, each costume is different. Like, I really love Elspeth as a character. Right. Liliana, because she was the polar opposite of Elspeth, and I was like, I would love to do that. Yeah. Eternal Witness, cause, because I love Therese Nielsen and just any of Therese Nielsen's cards that I could cosplay, I wanted to cosplay. 
Your eternal witness was really wonderful. Thank you. I love that costume. I love that card. And Therese Nielsen, I feel so blessed to have been able to just ever meet her and be able to call her friend, honestly. That's amazing. The art is stunning. It, it absolutely is. There's so many details that you see in real life that you don't necessarily translate from the art. Yeah, I always find it um, fascinating that because uh, people like on Elspeth, uh, she has like pretty much Roman numerals going across, like all over her costume. Mm-hmm. Her her old Elspeth like night air imperial version. Yeah, she literally has all of it is trimmed in like these weird Roman numerals, and I don't know how many people came up and were just like, I never noticed that before on on oh, the card, wow. and I was just like, how many hours a day do you you play magic way more than I do, and you never in this card that you play all the time you never notice. So, do you spend a lot of time looking at card art? Yeah, that's like pretty much like half of the costume right there is just staring at it. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. But you stare at it in that little square on the card, or do you find a larger version of just the full art? Both. I prefer the larger versions, of course, but the different sizes, and especially seeing it like in person with a card, you, you notice different things on both versions. Yeah. The sizing, you immediately will focus on different things than when you see it in a big print version, for sure. Yeah, on um, Eternal Witness, which people always are like, oh, I never noticed that. Uh, she actually has these, like, first of all, she's got insanely long nails that nobody seems to notice. Oh, I didn't notice that. She's got insanely long, like, claw-like nails. And then she also has these weird strings with, like, lit balls coming off of her skirt that nobody's ever noticed until the earlier version of my costume. When I met Therese Nielsen... Like, the second time I met her, I was in Eternal Witness, and it was the first time she saw the costume. And I had actually taken the balls off because um, a couple of them had dropped off, so I hacked off the other ones. And I was like, oh, I'll fix this later. Uh-huh. And so when I first saw Trace Nielsen in person, she goes, where's your balls? Oh, my gosh. She didn't say hi or anything. She literally just stared at me. She just asked me where my balls were. And not many people can say Therese Nielsen asked them where their balls are. That's so amazing. That is so epic. And she did it so straight-faced, too. It was, like, it was so horrifying. <laughs> she was just messing with me. But she did it with such a straight face, though, like when she asked me where my balls were. That's incredible. And I, I got bright red, and I, and the funniest thing was, was I just looked right down at my crotch, and I looked back at her, and my first thought was going to be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah. They fell off. <laughs> but I just told her, I was like, I'm sorry, I killed you. They fell off. And, but she, she's like, no, I, I really love it. And every time I see her, it, she makes me want to just cosplay 10 million more things. And, like, it, she's inspiring, to say the least. That is so amazing. You have this relationship with, with these artists that you're able to ask them to share with you about the concept art of the character and get more in-depth details that we don't see from the single point of view that we get from the card art. Is there ever a time where you ask an artist why they made an embellishment on a particular costume for a character? Oh my god, all the time. Most of the time, I swear to you, they'll just say, they're like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> okay. no joke, like, 50%, like, no, it's more than 50%. It's like 90% of the time, they're like, I don't know, this looks cool. That's awesome. The very first time I met Steve Argyle was at the very first GP Vegas. Uh-huh. I had just finished, like, a newer version of my Liliana the Veil, and I was so proud of it. I honestly hated the costume because it was so hard to make, <laughs> and 
because it just bubbling out of the veil corset. It it's not easy. It's not like a a real corset. The pattern it, it just it doesn't work very well in real life. It takes a while to figure it out. And so I was quite grumpy with the costume. So when I first met him, I literally marched up to him and was just like, I just want to let you know, this design was so stupid. <laughs> he, just, he just looked at me like, he just kind of had this little smile and he goes, I'm sorry. And I was just like, you don't know how hard it was to make this. He goes, I honestly, when I drew it, I never expected somebody to dress up as it. And I, and I was just like, well, next time, think about it. And he was like, I definitely will. I definitely will. Oh, my goodness. Mark Winters told me, next time, maybe don't insult artists, and they'll give you an easier time down the road. That is too funny. But I really, like, Steve's super cool. He, uh, like, like he's helping me make a costume right now. So, oh, obviously, wow. there, there was no real animosity at all. Yes, of it course. It was just, I just had to let him know. I was very frustrated. <laughs> it's always different. Each artist is always like different when you ask them for details some of them like it they'll just give you the straight answer well that was what uh on the concept you know sheet that i got this is how it is for uh my taste of karlov uh costume when i met carlo ortiz i was like yeah i didn't know what she was wearing and carlo was like oh i have no idea what taste is wearing because like the way taste is sitting you don't actually see what she's wearing you kind of have like an idea of the top and the legs so she's sitting there she's glaring she looks amazing you kind of get a sense of the costume but you honestly i have no idea what she's actually wearing like is she wearing a skirt what like what's going on i just did my own thing with it i literally just went and stared at a bunch of different patterns stared at a bunch of different art in dragon's maze with like what other Orozov Guild members were wearing. And I was like, okay, let's just do something like this. So when I met her, she was like, I was like, do you know what she's wearing? Like, did I get it? And she goes, honestly, I, I don't know what she's wearing. I didn't really picture it. She was like, I obviously focused on her boobs a lot. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's all we cared about. And she goes, but you know what? If I ever have to draw her, I'll draw her in exactly what you're wearing because this is what I'm going to picture her in from now on. Wow. I almost started crying. I I would get almost started sobbing, and she had me take. She took like a million pictures of me, like 360. That's incredible. So she had pictures of the outfit, like in complete walk around. So she so she said if ever she had to draw her again next time. That's incredible. That. Your and art has like, come full circle. Yeah, it, it, that was like a circle of life right there. <laughs> That's incredible. When an artist now was being commissioned by Wizards of the Coast to do this concept for a character that of a set that you know we don't have any art or any artistic direction for and then you take that card art and you say well she's sitting there and it doesn't seem to make any sense why that would be a certain way but you run with it you do the problem solving and then you meet the artist just to ask them what is going on here man and she's like I don't know, but you seem to have figured it out, so let's do a 360 because I'm modeling it after you now. Yeah. I can't wait for that, like, Commander, like, I don't know, 2017 set when Tessa's in there and she's wearing what you're wearing. I hope so. And then you don't have to make another costume. You just grab it out of the closet and off you go, right? Exactly. And see, that that will be the best part of that whole thing. <laughs> it's like, don't have to remake a costume. <laughs> 
I wonder if the artist will ever slowly start to draw that character to look like you. So like in a future version, you know how sometimes different、uh, characters will look a little bit different? Like they kind of look the same. Yeah, it's always yeah, in between different artists. Yeah. Yeah, maybe one day they'll just like slip one in and it's like actually you. That's pretty much like my dream right now is I want to be like in an actual like you can 100% tell somebody's just like that's Christine and I hope that that happens one day. It almost happened with Addison Purifier. I don't know. It does look a lot like me, and it, it did kind of creep me out when I first saw the art. I was like, oh damn, <laughs> like. I think that you do have an effect on the magic community. I hope so. They're seeing you out in the real world, in the community, posting pictures on Twitter, and they go, "Hey, she really looks like Avison." So when they get commissioned a couple years from now to do another Avison, they're gonna have that lurking. It's like Inception. You've kind of incepted them. I hope so. With the image of yourself. Yeah, I hope so. That's all I want. <laughs> it really tickles me though for Shadows Over Innistrad. I don't know how many tweets I got of people opening packs and either on the Avison pack or if they open an Avison, they're like, "Oh, look, it's Christine." That literally blows my mind. That is、I、so awesome. I cannot handle that like at all. It makes me just so happy. I I can't articulate exactly how it makes me feel. It makes me feel all bubbly, but you know, warm and tickly, that kind of thing. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so great. Christine, so tell me, what's it like wearing a new costume for the first time?、Um, depending on like the costume, either you feel like if it's a full suit of armor, you feel so badass it's not even funny. You can't. You can hardly walk. You kind of waddle. What's the armor made of? Um, I use a lot of foam and a thermoplastic, which is a heat-activated plastic called Warbla. Uh huh. So it's very durable, and I mean it's not actual armor. I I can take a punch, kind of. <laughs> I could take no, a I, punch. Like, oh my god! But not, but not much after that. But、uh, it's really durable. It lasts a long time, and、uh, since it's heat activated, if anything falls off, you heat it up and you slap it back on. So you've got armor. So you do. You, so you, so there's some plastic molding that has to be done. There's、mm-hmm. heat being applied. There's gluing. There's priming. There's painting.、Uh, there's a lot of detail work. There's sewing, right? There's sewing. There's wig dyeing, wig styling. You gotta, and I spend a,、uh, a lot of time on makeup too. I think that's really important to really get the full transformation. And do you do a rehearsal for the costume that you're wearing? I try to. It really depends on like how much time I have to actually make the costume. There's been a lot, a lot, a lot of times where I literally, it's the first time I wear the whole thing together. Like I've worn pieces, but never the whole thing together at like the GP. And so these costumes, do they cost a lot? I try so that magic players understand.、Uh, most of like the costumes. This is not just like the materials, but it's like my time that I put into them too.、Um, I equate it to like a mock ruby, wow, much mock pearl or something. So several thousand dollars over, yeah, easily. So Christine, what is next for you as a cosplayer, as a figure in the magic community, and also personally? Oh God, I never quite know.、Um, I don't plan that far ahead. As funny as it sounds,、um, I don't know. I hope I can do more original designs. Like I hope I can collaborate with more artists and. Uh, I hope next year I can just do like bigger, more ridiculous stuff. Uh huh. And I also want to do a lot more funny things. Like I just want to do some more kind of quirky, kind of random costumes. Yeah, and you're going to be staying in the magic multiverse. Yeah, like I'm trying to make an Angus McKenzie costume right now, which、okay. is a really old card. That's right. And it's this weird old dude with a beard. 
Yes. And I was like, I want to cosplay that really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very funny. And so I want to do more just fun stuff like that. Because that's the, the main thing about cosplay. It's just about having fun, just doing what makes you feel good. And I think that will definitely get the point across. <laughs> Need a beard. Yeah, you need to find like a GP or a pro tour that falls on April Fool's weekend. And then Wizards of the Coast is like, okay, you're going to show up as like Liliana or Chandra. Right? You're like, yeah, 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 I got it. And you show up as Angus and McKenzie. Then just straight Angus McKenzie. Yep, that's what I'm hoping. Christine, I want to ask you a little bit about you playing Magic. When did you start playing Magic? Um, I started playing Magic the year before World, so around 2010. Uh huh. Around Scar, like Scar's Mirrodin, or somewhere in the Mirrodin block, and that was an interesting time to start Magic because I literally learned how to play Magic with like Phyrexian mana and insect decks. Not the best way, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the deck that was the most popular when I started F and M was Cobblade, which if people don't know what Cobblade is, you need to look it up. And I still have my promo Squadron Hawks, and those are some of my favorite cards still that I have. I'm like, I'm so proud. I've got my four babies. When it comes to video games, I played, or not video games, but games in general. It's totally 100% just a pleasure, you know, fun, relaxing thing. And people still, like, can't believe me when I say this, but F&M, even for me, was too competitive. Any type of competition, you know, some people brings out the worst in people. Yeah, F&M can get pretty competitive. It can get pretty competitive. And honestly, I am too much. I preach this all the time. And I tell people I'm a filthy casual. And thank God EDH came out like not too long after. Or it became more easy access format with uh, Wizards putting out the pre-made deck. That's literally the only thing you get me to play. That's Unless, fantastic. Unless, like, conspiracy draft comes out or something. That's always fun. But um, I literally just play EDH now. I love EDH. Sometimes EDH can be pretty casual if you get, like, a big multiplayer game going. I think at one yeah. time Marshall Sutcliffe said that it was the uh, the cell phone format or something. Like, you know, it's like, here's a land pass, and you just go on Twitter for the next 15 minutes yeah, until it rounds. Yeah, you just start chatting. Yeah. And then when it gets to your turn, you're like, what happened again? Okay. And, or it can be really political, which even then, though, um, those can always be pretty fun, depend, like, depending on your play group. Oh, okay. Who's your general? My general is Kalia. Oh, Kalia of the Vast. Kalia of the Vast. And I've come to the realization, though, that I built my deck knowing that I'm never going to cast her. Or if I do cast her, she's going to be on the field for about two seconds. My deck is completely built around a commander that I never play. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But you have some support spells. You've got Lightning Greaves or Swiftfoot Boots. I would definitely say it's way more white heavy, just literally trying to slow people down just not long enough to where I can equip something and have her at least one turn, because one turn's all I really need to start going pretty hard. That's so funny that you play Kali of the Vast, because when you when, when you ever, when you start the game and everyone's like, okay, who, what are your generals? When I see a Kali yeah. <laughs> of, of the Vast player, I was like, oh, that one's going down first. I'm attacking them yeah, first. Yeah, I just try and look innocent. And uh, pretend like I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, that yeah. That helps a lot, which isn't very hard to do. <laughs> a really fun game I played was with uh, Nathan and Sean, who um, did directed Ender the Battlefield. Ah, okay. So, yeah, Nathan Holt, who also does Walking the Plains. Yes, and Sean Kornhauser. Yes. They're both super fun, really fun to play with. If you ever can get a chance and get them to sit down and do Commander, I highly recommend it. 
That's wonderful. What commanders did they play? You know, I don't remember which ones they had because we were playing that at about 3 a.m. after Pro Tour Atlanta, and that whole game was a blur. 3 a.m. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 3 a.m., and we all had flights pretty early the next morning, too. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, one of them had a flight at, like, 6, and they were just pretty much staying up until the flight. Oh, my gosh. So that whole game was a blur. I would miss all the triggers. It was pretty much us, like, talk, like you know, just BSing most of the time. If you actually go back to around the Pro Tour Atlanta, you'll see, like, Nathan make a public apology to one of the other players. Because <laughs> for some reason, he, like, singled this poor guy out, even though he literally got mana screwed and didn't do anything most of the game. Um, but I somehow got left alone because I, I literally couldn't do anything either for a while. And if a Kalia player can't do anything... People don't seem to pay them any mind. That's right. You're kind of left alone. Yeah, they're like, oh, well, she can't cast Kalia. She's useless. And it's like, well, it's pretty much true. It was left to me and this other guy. And what ended the entire game was I ulted um, Soren Markov. Soren Markov from Zendikar. And so I gained control of his turn. And Mind you, we're playing with like a couple of judges as well from the pro tour. Okay, so they were just hanging out. And they, yeah, they were just hanging out playing with us. They all they died, but they were just kind of there. You know, everybody was still just seeing how this played out. This uh-huh. like super long, you know, few like I think it was over two hour long game. So I ult and I look at him and I go, "Okay, I take control of your turn." And he nods and I go, "And I make you scoop." Oh. And so one of the judges immediately just like head bangs. <laughs> to this, like the table and the other one goes sweetie you can't do that and i was like why not <laughs> like, i was like i ended the game i won right and the guy looks at me and he looks at the judge and he goes i'll allow it and i was like what i won right and he goes yeah you won but you can't technically do that and i was like why not it makes you know it says i gained control of his turn so why can't i just make him scoop and he goes because think of what else you can make him do if you gain control of his turn like that and i was like oh when you put it that way we could have had a lot more fun here and that's how that game ended <laughs> so you so everyone just kind of gave you this funny look like an l5 was just like christine you can't do that yeah he just like literally one just put his head down he was just like i'm not even gonna do this right now <laughs> <laughs> you get like a game loss <laughs> the other one just kindly tries to like explain to me like you can't do that <laughs> like why not <laughs> you can't tell me what to do in all honesty, the first time I saw that card, the first thing I said was, can I make them scoop? So I did the same thing. That's pretty funny. That's what I thought I could do, so I did. <laughs> and that's Commander, and that's why I like playing. I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Give them to me. Alrighty, okay. All right. <laughs> of the six colors of magic, white, blue, black, green, red, and now colorless, what is your favorite color and why? Um, definitely white, because it has a lot of my favorite characters in it, and I like playing white weenie. I like giving, like, a bunch of stuff, plus one, plus one, so definitely white. Shout out to Craig Wesco. He's the first person I think of, yeah. That's right. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, I see that. Yeah, definitely the characters are there, and the, uh, the creatures are there, so, yeah. What rule of the game would you change? It doesn't have to be something to improve the game necessarily, but just something that you think you would want to change about the rules. Um, I still really think if you ult with Soren Markov, you should be able to have that person <laughs> scoop. I totally think that that rule is just ridiculous, and it makes sense to me. 
So at okay. least tweak it to where if you scoop as that person, it should it should be okay. You were just doing your job, which was win. You were just doing. You were just trying to defeat your opponent. I was just trying to wrap the game up. Honestly, <laughs> you were just trying to wrap the game. I was tired. Everybody was tired. We were ready. We were done. You're like, I got a plane to catch. Scoop. I got. I got to finish this right now. <laughs> If you could give a playset of any card to every Magic player, what card would it be? I kind of would love to give everybody, like, um, Squadron Hawk would be pretty funny. <laughs> give everyone Squadron uh, Hawks. Or just give everybody Stormcrow. That's what I do. Give everyone Stormcrow, a playset of Stormcrow. You just get a four player set of Stormcrow. That's it. It's the best card. And have fun. Like, I'm, I'm blessing you at that point. <laughs> <laughs> just that's it. Stormcrow. That's the answer. Okay. For all the rest of the rapid fire questions, it's just going to be Stormcrow. Okay. But... <laughs> Storm... That's so great. Okay. Next question. What do you see as the future of Magic the Gathering? What I see in the future is a uh, Magic convention where it's a place where most, like all of the Magic community can come and gather. Ha ha. And <laughs> it's not an event that is focused on a tournament. Okay. Because a bunch of people are like, oh, GPs are magic conventions. They're not. They're tournaments. They're focused around the tournament. They're all supposed to be, you know, they're tournament-oriented. I want a convention which would be focused on all aspects of the community. I want panels on the artists, on prominent members of the community. I want workshops. I want an artist alley where it's not just artists from the game, but like, you know, fan artists, you know, people who do altars, who make accessories, magic-related. Yeah, I want I want a magic convention. That's what I see. And of course, there would be an area where you can play magic, where they would have drafts and everything. But it that's not what the focus would be on. It would be about the community as a whole. I think that sounds like a great idea. I went on a huge thing about it on Twitter, and a lot of people seemed really behind it. So I hope Wizards and Helene said that Wizards is talking about it. Oh. They, definitely it's definitely on the radar of some sort she's not they're not saying like it's going to happen but they definitely are talking about it and that's helene bergeau the director of organized play right there you go yeah yeah sorry. yeah yeah very cool well i'm glad that they're talking about and thinking about that that's that's yeah. that would be a lot of fun do you have any ask or requests of the audience like where they can find you on social media they can find me anywhere on social media at keith sprinkle run which is the letter c S-P-R-A-N-K-L-E, run. Um, it's a play. Everybody always asks what my name means. It's literally Christine Sprinkle, and it's a play off of C-Spot Run. That's right. C-Sprinkle Run. C-Sprinkle Run, C-Spot Run. Oh, fun. Because my friend literally said, pick an online name that's really simple for people to remember. And I was like, how simple, like C-Spot Run? And he's like, yeah, I took it really literal. Oh, um, wow. Hey, we got some backstory on your Twitter handle now. So that's what it came from, was I took it really serious, and I literally put C-Spot Run simpleness into my name. Facebook, at C-Sprinkle Run. Um, anywhere, Instagram, Twitter, all of it, C-Sprinkle Run. I am always open to questions. Uh, if you ever need help on cosplay, let me know. I can try and help. That's fantastic that you're open to people reaching out to you for cosplay help. I always try. There's some people who literally want me to like make their costume for them. I don't do that. Don't ask me. Got to make your own stuff. That's not. That's not what I. I don't want to do that. Like I'll help you try and make yours, but I won't literally make it. So I'm sorry. And then also you have a Patreon page. 
I do. I always I always forget to plug that because I feel bad, but Crossway's expensive. Help me. <laughs> 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 but it's also at Sea Circle Run, and I try and update it, but it's really hard. <laughs> Well, it's just hard to update because you got so much going on. Oh yeah, because like I just I got so much going on, but I try, and I it's all that's very highly appreciated. Wonderful, you know, Christine, you've just done so much for the magic community. You've put yourself out there for so many years, and you've been very generous with that positivity. And despite what people are going to say on the internet, because that's the internet, you've continued to do it, and you've continued to be a source of joy and inspiration. And also you're sharing your creativity and your love of art and also the craft of cosplay to everyone. So thank you so much. I really want to acknowledge you for that. And I do encourage... Oh my God, thank you. Yeah. And I encourage <laughs> all of the listeners to connect with uh, Christine on Twitter, on Facebook, and check out the Patreon page. Christine, is there anything else you want to say? It's a game. Have fun. And if you're not good at the game, that's okay. I'm not either. And look where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Storm crows for everybody, right? Storm crows for everybody. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Christine Sprankle. I'm really glad that she shared all those stories with us. Please check out Christine's Patreon page and support her cosplay. And be sure to connect with Christine on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at C Sprankle Run. All of those links and the pictures that we talked about will be in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Special thanks to photographer Joey Pasco for sharing some photos with us. His Twitter handle is at Affinity for Blue. And also go check out his website, joeypasco.com. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. I've played in 26 Pro Tours, and I was at a Pro Tour maybe five years ago, and one of the coverage people came up to me, I believe it was Rich Hagen, and he told me, Adam, you have played in more FNM tournaments than anyone else playing in this tournament. And I was like, what? I've known I've played some FNM tournaments, but and that completely took me by surprise. We're talking to Adam Yurchek. He's been playing Magic professionally for some time now. Join us for the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic, where Adam shares his wisdom on high-level play and his philosophy on tournament prep. Thanks so much for listening to the first few episodes on Season 1 of Kitchen Table Magic. All of the show notes for each episode is at kitchentablemagic.org. Please follow us on Twitter at KTM Podcast. To find us on Facebook, just search for Kitchen Table Magic Podcast in the search bar. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thank you so much. Also, we don't really have any sponsors for this show, but like in true magic fashion, I did sell some magic cards in order to fund this little project of mine. So today's episode is brought to you by Snapcaster Mage. I sold an extra playset of uh, my Snapcaster Mages that I had to a buddy of mine, and it really made me think about how great Snapcaster Mage is as a creature. You can flash him in for just the low, low cost of one and a blue, and he gives the spells in your graveyard flashback, so that's great. I mean, you can do combat tricks, counter spells, cryptic command, lightning bolt. Everyone loves bolt, snap bolt. Um, and even sometimes as a tempo play, attacking for two can just win you the game. So anyways, this episode is brought to you by Snapcaster Mage. Thanks.